You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to the Self-Publishing Journeys podcast, episode number 118, for Monday the 2nd of July 2018. My guest on today's show is Scottish writer Wendy H. Jones. Her police procedural series featuring Detective Inspector Shona McKenzie is set in Dundee. Wendy's love for adventure led to her joining the Royal Navy to undertake nurse training. After six years in the Navy, she joined the Army, where she served as an officer for a further 17 years. This took her all over the world, including Europe, the Middle East and the Far East. As well as nursing, Wendy also worked for many years in academia, and this led to publication in academic textbooks and journals. Killer's Countdown is her first novel and was the first book in the Shona McKenzie mystery series. When Wendy and I spoke for the podcast, I began by asking her if she'd ever thought about writing a book before she began her life in nursing. I always thought about writing a book. I was I was a very strange child because one I read when I was three, so I'd always been reading. I was an early reader. And then by the time I was five, my mother, who was a secretary, gave me a typewriter and I was writing naughty stories and fan fiction before fan fiction became... Uh, it became popular, really. And then, obviously, I became a nurse and was in the military and things, so it all kind of got put on hold. But I did write down journals of everything I was doing all over the world. All right, so you've got to tell me about that then. By the way, that's the first writer I've ever had on who wrote Noddy Fan Fiction. So congratulations, that's a first. Thank you. I mean, really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you you had this life of adventure then, and you wrote, as you say, you wrote the journals. So just give me a, a little kind of taster of what you were seeing and doing then in the forces. Well, when I was in the services, I was very fortunate because I got to go all over the world. I got to go to, um, I was a nurse for a start. I started off nursing in the Royal Navy. Then I um, moved to the army after I'd hit Civvy Street and thought they're not paying me enough I joined up again and so I was 17 years in the army and left with the rank of major and I'm still a major I'm actually Major Jones (laughs) that's brilliant that's brilliant I'm just trying to think. It could be worse. Is it Corporal Jones in Dad's Army? It oh, could yeah, be worse, Corporal couldn't Jones. it? <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm Major Wendy H. Jones, so it sounds a bit grand. But the only people that are interested in it, really, are, one, the tax man, and two, the kids, when I go and do events at schools, they're very impressed. <laughs> well, I'm impressed by it, actually. And, and often, you see, when you meet people who've been in the services, they, they have that touch of the military about them. In the, sometimes they can be a bit frightening, but you're not like that at all. No, no, I, I must have been nice because all my student nurses are still in touch with me and going, oh, we'd love to have you as an officer. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> um, but I was, I was going back to the adventure. I was lucky because I got to go all over the world. Um, I went to Hong Kong, Cyprus, Gibraltar, Israel, um, Holland, uh, Germany, and then all the usual places in the UK. And I had some real adventures. And I'll tell you one very, very quickly. I went to Nepal um, on holiday when I was in um, the military. And we went, my friend and I went across this huge stream on a boat on a, to look for tigers in the jungle on foot, as you do. <laughs> and 
The problem we did I was very glad we didn't actually come up close and personal with any tigers because by this point I thought there's no way I can outrun a tiger. But what happened was there was a huge storm blew over and the guide ran away. He went, storm, get out. And he ran away and left us all to it, stole the boat and went back across this river, leaving us stranded with animals coming out the forest to get away from the trees that were crashing everywhere. So we had to kind of wade through this forest and wade, wade through this, this massive river, which was getting faster by the minute, to get to the other side, run past more um, trees in the jungle to get back to our hut and get away from these wild animals. Seriously, you can't make it up. <laughs> that's that's amazing, and you 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 seem like such a quiet lady when we sat next to each other at twenty books of fifty k this year. No, I'm wild, wild and adventurous. <laughs> me, I'm all over the place. You get everywhere you go, there I am, <laughs> whatever but, country it is. But and that, but you know that that's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant life experience, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. The travel, the kind of experiences that you wouldn't have got, broadening your horizons. So. I mean, Absolutely. you must think you're all the better for that as an author. Well, yeah, because uh, to be honest, most of the... OK, I write serial killer books, so I've not come across many serial killers, I might add. But a lot of the things that you can use in your books, you've actually banged up to them in real life at some point. It's all rich fodder because, you know... I mean, to be honest, the visceral fear, joking apart with this thing in Nepal, the visceral fear of thinking any wild animal could come out of this jungle and get me and I've got to get across this river and get back safely, am I going to get through it? It kind of focuses the mind, really. And you can bring that into your books because you've felt that. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point, actually, because, you know, when I do a chase scene or a, I've, I've never been in anything like that, you know, I just have to imagine it. But <laughs> I, bet, I bet you know, I mean, you know a real adrenaline surge, don't you, after that? Yeah, so you know what people feel like, and you ain't cheery. Although I have to add, I was more worried about saving my brand new camera than I was about it saving me. <laughs> I'd only had the camera about two weeks, and it was really expensive. It was like about £800 worth of camera, and I was more bothered about the camera than me. <laughs> so tell me, as a, as, a, a nurse, uh, a nurse, as a nurse in the military, yeah. Um, yeah. presumably you were doing some pretty gruesome stuff for you. Were you sort of on the front line ever? I wasn't, no. I was actually, most of my time in the, the military, I either worked on the children's ward or I was in nurse education. <laughs> oh, no. Come on, you've got to tell me a better story than that. No, seriously, that was it. I'll tell you a story. I nearly went to war and I got told, you, you go to war and you've got to go to Bosnia and you need to go and get your kit because you're only little. So get your kit and you can go to war. So I went and got it, and then I came back, and my name wasn't on part one orders, and you can't go to war unless your name's on part one orders. So I um, went and had a a look and said to the the matron, it's not on it. Anyway, to cut a long story short, somebody had forgotten to type my name on the list, so I didn't go to war. (laughs) Blimey. Well, uh, but you wanted to, though. Oh, yeah, I was ready to go. I had my lipstick packed. I was ready and ready to go. You need need your QA lippy. (laughs) Come on, it can't be like that. I mean, you you sound like you're no stranger to danger with this. You know, that would terrify most people, the the prospect of that. Well, you know, you sign up, you take the Queen's shilling, as they say, you take the money every month, including the danger money, you get danger money every month. You can't turn around and go, I don't quite fancy going off to a war zone. It's just not really fitting my lifestyle. (laughs) I would never have thought it of you. I really wouldn't. I'm very surprised. 
was all packed and ready to go. I was like, hey, this is good. <laughs> so having had those um, experiences then, I mean, I'm assuming you were pretty busy just with the day-to-day stuff. If you're a major, you're kind of in management. You've got people to, to look after. Did you get any writing done in the little pockets of time that you had? You do get time to do writing because, as I say, I kept journals and things. And sometimes people think it's all on the edge of your seat stuff on Word. Sometimes there's a bit of a quiet time for whatever reason. You know, if every child on the Word is asleep and you've done all your rounds and you've kept an eye on them and you're looking at them, there's time to sit down and do stuff, you know. So I did do some writing, yeah. Brilliant. And, and so uh, you did the journals, which is just which is diarying, effectively, what I would call writing a diary. Is that right? Just kind of your, your thoughts and your experiences? Yes. And, I mean, to be honest, you'll, you'll keep a record, but you'll, you try to think. And it, what it does is for, for a writer is it makes you think about all the things around it. Because, say I was writing that story about the jungle, which I did, I might add, <laughs> um, you're you're thinking about all the things that go around it. What was the sky like? What did the other people... What were the other people like? What were their faces like? Because it probably mirrored mine perfectly. <laughs> um, it's all things like that, you know. What what were the animals doing? Were they, um, you know, jittery? Were they just getting out? How did the trees fall? So there's a lot of things that you're thinking about when you're writing it down. And it gets you used to thinking about everything around a scene. And then what about, so there was the journaling. What about other writing what form did that take well to be honest I, I i did write short stories and things around um what i was doing but i didn't get it published or i just sat down and wrote it in a notebook then a computer i have to admit i'm a very early adopter so i was using computers long before it was fashionable <laughs> um and, you know, you would write things down on files, floppy disks, which no longer exist, but it gets you used to writing and it gets you used to structuring stories and things. So, yeah, you could find time. What then um, helped you to transition to wanting to get that sort of published and, and trying to put that into a more uh, public arena, if you want to call it that? Well, I... I, as I say, I worked in nurse education, so I was publishing in nursing textbooks and academic journals and things. So I was used to working to deadlines, and I was used to um, getting stuff published and having to do what editors said. And then when I, to be honest, I, I was then working in education, teacher training and things, and again, I was writing books, uh, education books. And then I, I got ill, and... I had an idea for a book and I thought, well, I'm sort of twiddling my thumbs here. I think I might write this book. And I did it in NaNoWriMo. It was just a natural transition, really, from one type to the other. Uh, talk to me a little bit about writing academic books, because that's a completely different discipline from writing uh straight straight fiction I mean, for instance it's got to be completely right for starters you can... oh this is it you need to get it right the thing with academic textbooks you've got to make sure that you're referencing things you've got to read around it there's a lot and i mean a lot of research goes into writing an academic textbook um you need to make sure you've got the most up-to-date papers that you've um you've got the most up-to-date textbooks that you're referring to and you need to you need to reference everything you do but 
with fiction, it's helped, again, that helps you with the research for fiction. But then the biggest challenge is you then don't put all your research into fiction, whereas a lot of the time you put most of your research into an academic textbook. So it gets you used to researching it, but then you need to step out of that into um, writing fiction because it's such it's not a different discipline, but it is a different um, way of doing it. And it also helps you work towards deadlines and things. So that's a, a really good, um, a really good discipline to have to to be able to work towards deadlines and make sure that you get things in on time. So if I went searching online for your academic texts, would I find them? Because they're not on your Amazon profile, are they, at the moment? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't find them anymore. The reason being, although you might find the odd thing that pops up that's a bit odd, and um, that suddenly there'll be a, a pediatric textbook for pop up on my Amazon. If you search Wendy H. Jones on Amazon, you'll get some pediatric textbooks. What that usually means is that somebody in there has referenced me somewhere. But the books are so out of date, nobody would use them anymore. Uh And this is the thing. A nursing textbook or a medical textbook or any textbook, by the time it actually hits the stores, is two years out of date. (laughs) I'm interested to hear why that is, though, because, like, the human body doesn't change. Is it the research methods that have changed? No, it's what you, how you treat it is different. Oh, right, that's interesting. So all the treatments are different. So I know, we, we, for example, we used to use leeches a long time ago, even before I started nursing. But I thought the you were going to tell me you used to use them there. I was... No, I didn't, I didn't. But they used to be used. And then they went out of favour. They're actually using medical leeches again now. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, because yeah. they've discovered it can help. Egg white and oxygen, we used that on pressure sores when I started nursing. That went completely out of favour. Now they're doing it again. <laughs> so the way you treat things change. And the old textbooks, I mean, I've got text, nursing textbooks from 1958. And there's just no way you'd be doing those things now. Brilliant. And, and the other thing I should ask you before we sort of move on to the, to the fiction is... When you did the academic books, um, how did that sort of come about? Did, did somebody approach you to share your knowledge with those? Yeah, uh, yeah, they did, yes. Um, when I was doing uh, doing my um, the nursing textbooks, somebody came and said, would you write some chapters for nursing textbooks? Then when I was in education, um, I was asked by the person in charge of the research faculty if I could do some um, articles for uh, academic journals and then I was given a grant to write a study skills book um, and things like that so it was pretty much I was approached to do them. And how did you find the traditional experience? Yeah it was good I mean when you're doing academic stuff it's a completely different ball game to doing fiction and getting it published um, because I mean I have traditional publishers for my fiction as well and I, um, I'm independently published so I do both but um, it, uh, doing academic work is completely different because they want something about a particular topic and you have to write about that topic and everything around that topic and then they will, t- they will edit it and you will shape it to the way they want it Yes, okay and, and then in terms of uh, earnings, I do always ask people who've been traditionally published. I mean, presumably you're now living in a in a mansion as a result of your academic works. Am I Nelly? I'm not living in a mansion. <laughs> I've made no money from my academic books. <laughs> you make nothing from academic books. <laughs> so it really is, a, if you want, I guess, a professional 
uh, badge yeah. if you want. Um, it's yeah. not a badge; it's a necessity. Mm. You have to. You have to publish. If you're working in academia, you have to do it. Can I tell you now that a lot of the journals now expect um, universities to pay them, or the 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 um, author to pay them to take the academic piece? Wow, that's very interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess yeah. when, I, when I was a teacher, I remember having to pay to go on courses at the weekend. So, you know, it's like, not only do I not get paid at the weekend, I have to pay to go on a course if I want. Uh, so <laughs> It wasn't as bad as that. I actually got sent. I was very fortunate because I got my um, work sent me all over the world. So I managed to get myself to, um, when I was working in academia, I managed to get myself to um, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, to speak at a conference. That was quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good gig yeah well done with that and it was all paid for it was paid for by the university and i managed to get out to kenya for two weeks and do some teaching and that was paid for by the university oh nice one see nice one that's the, that's the plus side of education of course isn't it that's yeah of you know there's a book and i think it's called I, I can't remember what it's called but it's basically um written by somebody really famous it's a novel and it's about academia and all that they all they do is swap places on planes you know and they all fly around the world to conferences and all the elder work's done on planes <laughs> fantastic now do you know what i don't know why um because of your accent i've always assumed you live in scotland but uh, i do you, you do now yeah i'm just looking at your kind of cv on linkedin because you were down at fairham and, and bournemouth and pool so you're right down the bottom of the uk yeah and then you've got right up so- again I left when I was 18 and joined the Navy, and then I didn't return until six years ago. I came back for holidays, but I didn't return to Scotland until six years ago. Um, and that was when I started writing novels. So it was just as I returned to Scotland. To be honest, I got a bit bored, so I thought, oh, I know, I've got an idea for a novel. I think I'll write it. <laughs> how, how did you find being away from Scotland? Because it's such an you know, incredible uh, place, be- beautiful uh, country. Um, did did your kind of worldly travels satiate that kind of you know missing Scotland? Because I'm just sort of thinking. Oh, absolutely. Because Fareham and, and Bournemouth's completely different, isn't it? Absolutely. I lived in Southampton, so the south of England. But bear in mind, if you live in the south of England, on the whole, you get more sun. I think we've had more sun in Scotland since I came back than the south of England has. So that's been quite nice. Um, but also, I was always all over the world, so it made a huge difference. It was great fun, you know. I, I'm a great believer in enjoy yourself wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Make the most of it. Yeah, I think that's very true. That kind of wanderlust kind of uh, element that uh, there's always something more interesting over the hill, I always think. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I say I'm back in Scotland. Everybody in Scotland says, Wendy, you're never here. Where, where are you? Where, where are you this time? What are you doing? What, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So when, when you went, when you um, wrote, and again, I, I'm kind of referring to your your LinkedIn profile here. Yeah, when when yeah. you started to write, you, you kind of go from um, Bournemouth and Paul College, and then you go to being um, self-employed. You describe yourself as self-employed. So was it was that when you moved into writing and moved from traditionally? I think I've missed a couple of steps in between here. I then became the deputy director of a faculty at Portsmouth at um, Portsmouth University. Oh right, oh, um, you've missed you've missed a few years. That, yeah. Yeah, I've missed a few gigs on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn profile is obviously, I'm not very good. I say all your profiles should be up to date. Now, my LinkedIn one isn't, so I'm sorry about that. And then I said I was self-employed for two reasons. One, I was a Slimming World um, Slimming World group leader and manager. Oh, fantastic. District manager. So, yeah. You didn't need it, surely. 
Sorry, I did. I lost two stone with Slimming World, and I've kept it off for 18 years. Well, well, that, well that's as I know you, of course. So, uh, so congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well, let you see. Um, you probably used to interview in your role as a major. I used to, I used to interview people too. And um, one thing I learned in interviewing is that the interesting stories are always in the gaps in the CVs. They're always in the bits yeah. that you don't see. Um, and so, yeah. um, so that, that's really what I was alluding to. Was, so where did those four years go on, on the LinkedIn profile? And, and yeah, that's where it went. Aha, <laughs> yeah. Very good. Okay. So <laughs> it, can I say that the, the Slimming World gig was actually brilliant because they're very, very good at training you. And they gave me loads of marketing training, which has moved swiftly on to my um, – beautifully, I mean, not swiftly, has moved se- seamlessly on to my marketing for my books. So it was a really good gig, really. Well, now, is um, Slimming World, does that count as multi-level marketing, Slimming World? Yes. Yeah, well, no, the reason I'm saying that is because my brother did – what was it my brother did? He did multi-level marketing. And I always remember that, you know, the clues in the word marketing, in that he, he they used to have some brilliant marketing techniques. So I actually, through my brother, uh, started consuming – it was um, Danny someone. It was um, – so, somebody was big in internet marketing at the time, a lady from the States. And um, yeah. actually, you can learn a lot from multi-level marketers. They really know their yeah. marketing, don't they? Yeah. So it's helped me. Tr- tremendously so it was great you know not only was it fun to do but it helped me a lot as well <laughs> uh, and that also ties in with your philosophy that um you know whatever you do wherever you are you you get something from it all the time absolutely you always do there's always something to learn from anything that happens to you it might be a complete disaster but at least you'll learn something <laughs> from it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so okay so but we do move from um, you know, salaried employment to 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 uh, self employment as as a yeah. writer. So that that kind of comes in in your LinkedIn profile in, in two thousand and twelve. So when you That's started right, yeah. to write your books, what was your your sort of authorial aspiration? Were you going to be trad uh, indie? Because it's a very different landscape in two thousand and twelve, even though it's only six years ago. Yeah. Well, I had. Um I had an idea for a book and I didn't know whether to, um, you know, go traditional or um, independent because I had friends who were both. So I knew both routes. But I thought, well, I might as well write the book. So I did. And then I obviously got it edited, did all the usual things and pitched it to a couple of publishers. And or, and I was, you know, they were saying, no, it's not for us or um, you know, yeah, we like it, but this, that, and the other, and it might be two years before it comes out, and I'm frightfully impatient. And I thought, well, maybe if I, you know, give a go at this uh, independent publishing, it's one book. If it doesn't go, then, hey, what have I lost? You know, I can pull it, I can try different things and do it that way. So I was I was hedging my bets, really, <laughs> to be honest. Fair enough. <laughs> and what did that first book look like for you you know what was the experience like because of course you had written academic books i'm guessing they were pretty substantial were they the, the academic books uh, one of them was the others was just chapters in other nursing textbooks yes. you know so but one of them was a uh, uh, uh and i was also doing a phd so i was doing a lot of academic work for that i had to give up the phd because i was very very ill that's one of the reasons i moved back to scotland i'm all right now but i was very ill indeed um for many years um, but um, going down 
writing a novel was completely different. Um, but there again, you've got to bear in mind, I'm a voracious reader. I, if I wanted to, I could read one or two books every day. I'm a fast reader. I'm a voracious reader. And I, I started my first book as part of NaNoWriMo. Mm-hmm. And I, I will not let anything get the better of me. I'm Scottish. There's no way I'm letting anything beat me. So I knew I would do the 50,000 words, which I did. And I thought, well, that's almost a complete novel. I might as well finish it. So it was kind of finished in about six weeks, to be honest. So I didn't have time to think about the fact this is a novel and it's not academic writing. I was just writing. You just got on with it. You know, there's so many people I speak to on this podcast who attribute their first book, you know, however bad and however rough the draft to NaNoWriMo. Yeah. It's got a lot of good things to answer for, I think, NaNoWriMo. It does. It takes anything out of your brain other than the book because you just got on with it and you're right. Yeah, and, and many people really need that, don't they? And I think even just, um, I, I felt that once you've written those first 50 words, when you've written something a book length, um, you kind of know it could be done then. You've just got to do it yeah. again and, and again. The other, thi- the other thing I did was, and this was advice from a friend of mine, um, she said... Um, you tell everybody you're doing it because if you tell, I said, well, I'm not telling anybody I'm writing a book. She went, oh no, tell everybody you're writing a book because if you tell the whole world, you'll do it. If you don't, you've got nobody going, oh, when's your book out? So I I hadn't even written one word and I wrote a blog saying, oh, I'm writing a book and I'm going to blah, blah, blah and all this. And uh, people were putting in the comments, can I buy it? I'm like, well, you can buy it, but not yet. I haven't written first word yet. <laughs> so every now and again, somebody would pop up with, is your book out yet? <laughs> and it hasn't changed even now. I put one book down, get it published, start the next one, and everybody's going, can I buy your next book? And I'm like, I haven't written it yet. Well, it's, it, it's nice to have those kind of pre-orders ticking over all the time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So when you wrote that first book, then, so how was it? Was it, was it like a, a great book out, out the gate or, or did it need some work? Oh, no, it needed work. It wasn't a great book out the gate at all, <laughs> but it was a book. And that you, you need something to start with. I can't remember who it was that said you can't edit a blank page, you know. You need something there. And the ending was rubbish. I sent it off to some beta readers, and they all came back saying the same thing. The book's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I wanted to know what happened. Your ending's absolutely rubbish. You need to do something with the ending. But I knew that. Because I don't know what other people are like, but you get to the end and you think, I've got to get this book finished. So you just finish it rather than thinking about what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I needed to work on it and do a lot of um, shaping of it. And I needed to do a lot of the research. I then spoke to the police and asked them what they really did. And they said, oh, don't talk about what we really do. Just do whatever you like. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, when you're writing kind of crime novels, I mean, I think from a reader's point of view, you've got to watch that you're not too off the beaten track, haven't you, with with procedural stuff? Oh, yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Um, For example, in in Scotland, the police are not armed. Um, There are armed response units and they're specialist units. So if they need armed response units, they go out. But basically in my book, what I did was just turn my team into the armed response unit at the end. Yeah. Because you can't just introduce 30 new characters in the last chapter. People get upset. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, it doesn't look very good if it's not your your characters that actually catch the baddie. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. You've come all this way. But then you need to make sure you get things right. Like, for example, now, 
if they want, you know how the fingerprint, and it used to take days to get fingerprints back, now they can just use their mobile phones to send a photo and they'll get an answer in five minutes. Wow. Um, this person's on our database or they're not on our database. I didn't know that. I, you know, I, when, when I was a kid, they used to have these ink, you know, thumbprint kits. Do you remember, That's right. Do you remember yeah, those? Yeah. <laughs> it's changed a lot yeah. since those days. Well, yeah, that's what they used to do. But now they can just take, if somebody's got a dead body in front of them, they just take a picture of their, put their, on their phone and then send it and they'll get an answer. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't realise that they'd done that. So I'm pleased I don't write procedurals because I'm, I'm obviously yeah, out of touch. <laughs> um, how, <laughs> how did you get that first book then, sort of ready, re- ready to rock and roll? Did, you, did it go through the editor, the proofreader? Did you go through all those stages? Yes, it went through editors and proofreaders, yes. Despite that, there were still proofing errors in it, but it went through goodness knows how many people. But, you know, they, they, they got sorted well, within a week. You know, they got sorted. But, yeah, it went through all the, the rounds of editing and changing things and moving again and, and proofreading and proofreading again and somebody else proofreading it, yes. Well, uh, let me tell you, my wife today, she's reading a Joe Nesbo book and yeah. she called me over uh, because as a self-published author like, like you, probably I agonise about these things. And yeah. um, she showed me a, an error in a Joe Nesbo book where a word had been repeated. And you think how many eyes, sets of eyes that had been over in a traditionally Precisely. published book. So, you know, I think we could only really aspire to get to 100%, but we probably never quite make it, however much effort we put I know. in. I grabbed a, I grabbed a book by a, and this has happened, I'm not getting at anybody because it does happen, but I grabbed a book by a, a well-known um, author in America when I was at the airport in America and got on the plane and read it, and there were five spelling and grammar errors on the first page. Oh, wow. That is shocking, actually. That, I mean, that is but, shocking, actually. <laughs> I know. And I feel sorry for the author because it's not their fault, you know. Things happen. If things happen. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and as I say... And it's what you say. It's, when I was in teacher training, I used to teach people how to teach. And I would say to them, look, it doesn't matter what goes wrong. It's not what goes wrong. It's how you deal with it that's important. Yes, yeah. And, and of course, the joy of self-publishing is that we can go straight back in there and fix it if it's wrong. Absolutely, because we haven't printed 50 million copies of the book. Yeah, and that is a deep joy. I mean, I heard, I'm just trying to think, it was a regional writer saying that um, she was explaining how her covers were just about to go, and then she noticed that there was something, if you looked at it, it was really rude. And, you know, they were just about to print how many thousands of these, and, and it was just at the last minute somebody realised they were about to make a terrible mistake, um, you know, with the image. They just People had just missed it. They hadn't seen it. Yeah. You, um, you know, sometimes you can you can miss it for looking too hard. I think. Well, I remember reading a library book once, with the, without going into all this. But I was out in Hong Kong and I grabbed a library book, and whatever it was, I was reading this author because that was what they had in the library in the hospital. And so I was reading a lot of his books, and two of his books had the same first chapter. Oh, really? Oh, dear me. <laughs> That's sounds... two different books. Yeah. <laughs> You make me feel like an accomplished professional telling you me all these sort of things. It's great. Anyway, what a shame. But things happen, you know. It's, it was accidental, I'm sure, you know. Well, nobody sets out to produce something like that, do they? That's, I, that's no, where, where I always no. come from. It's just, a, you know, it's an easy accident, to, I, I, I guess. Things, things happen. It's not, you know. Now, I, I need to talk to you then. You, your, your books feature Detective Inspector Shona McKenzie. That's uh, right, yes. And um, I'm wondering if when you wrote that first book, had you always intended to have that sort of central character that you were going to develop? 
Yes, it was always, well, it wasn't the D.I. Shona McKenzie mysteries. It was actually the D.I. Shona McLeod mysteries until I discovered there's another famous um, Scottish author whose her character was called Rona McLeod, which was far too close, so I had to change it to McKenzie. Um, so she's D.I. Shona McKenzie, and I always wanted her. Um, I think it came out of the fact that um, Dundee women are always been strong. Dundee was built, it's called... It, what it's famous for is jam jute and journalism. Yes. And, I mean, we use journalism loosely because it's the Beano and the Dandy and comics like that. But um, the jute bit of it, I mean, we had a huge jute industry in Dundee. It was massive. And they needed the women to um, be the weavers. So women were always strong in Dundee. And I wanted D.I. Shona McKenzie to be a strong Dundee woman. So that was where it came from. Now, I, I'm interested in this because I'm, I'm moving towards this idea of having a... I, I've always moved away from having a central character because I've, I've always worried about kind of the you know the curse of the character that you almost feel like you've got this albatross but you've you've written several books now with the same character and I'm interested yeah. in, in how you know why why did you do that and do you find that it restricts you in any way having a central character not really because they grow and develop obviously the thing that's difficult is if you've got the same characters or the same central character obviously they need to be the same in every book but they don't need to be the same in it but uh, they can't be the same in every book either because it gets boring. So you need certain traits that are the same, but they obviously need to grow and develop as well. And then the way they react to their team changes because the team and the other characters around them grow and develop and will act differently towards them or they'll get used to each other or, you know. And so having a, the same central character gives it a, a focus, really, and people get people like the character, so they get used to the character. For example, you know, Rebus and all those, they like the character, and that's what brings them back. Yeah, so well, I'm, this is what I'm beginning to think now, actually, that, you know, you do need that central character. And I was, um, I've been on sharing a stage with somebody who's written 18 books in a series today, and I'm becoming convinced that this is the way... I've always been convinced about series... I tend to write trilogies. It's always been that central character yeah. that's worried me, that's made me a little bit nervous. But I am coming around to thinking I need a central character now. And uh, you sound like you, you, know, you don't regret that at all by the sounds of it. No. And when you get used to that character, then things are easier because you know how they would respond to various things because you, you get inside their mind. I mean, the only problem is I've got to get inside so many different characters' minds because I've got a central character in that one and I've got a central character in my new series that's about to come out, which is called Cast Claymore Investigates, completely different character. I've got um, the Ferguson Flora Mysteries, uh, which again are two teenagers, so I have to get inside their mind as well. So you've got to keep them straight. Brilliant. Yes. Okay. So, um, book one. How did it go first? You know, when you when you released it. Well, it was phenomenal. I couldn't believe it. It. it everybody liked it. It just started selling, and I, I honestly couldn't believe it. I thought, you know, I I, I ordered two hundred copies, and a friend of mine said, "Oh, two hundred copies. Do you think you'll sell that?" And I went. Well, I've ordered them now, so we'll see how it goes. That was the paperback. And blow me, they sold with less than a week, they were gone. And we needed more. So I was ordering more. Every two minutes, I was ordering more. And then they were selling on ebook as well. So it went really, really well. It went to number two in one of its categories on Amazon. And it was just accepted 
by everybody. So, yeah, I, I sound stunned. It's because I still am stunned, to be honest. <laughs> Brilliant. How, how, how did they go, though? What, what sort of marketing did you deploy with that? Well, first of all, I had a big book launch. Um, the, the book launch, I went. I asked Waterstones if I could do a book launch, and they agreed, thank heavens. A lot of that is to do with the fact that Waterstones and Dundee are very, very receptive, and in Scotland are very receptive to local authors and to help and to having events. And so I did a big book launch, and there was over 100 people at that. Um, I think it was about 130 people at it. And the books were just going and going and going. And... Um, so that got it going. And then, of course, there was I had a professional photographer there because a friend of mine is a professional photographer, and I just put the photographs of the launch everywhere. And, of course, there were in every single social media I could think of. Um, and I, But with the launch, I invited loads and loads and loads of people, so there was a big buzz because what you have to remember with an event is if you invite 200 people, you might get about 130 because people won't come on the day for various reasons. Mm. So, and then I used social media and then I did things like took pictures of it on the, in the different bookshops because it went to all the bookshops in Scotland. So I was taking pictures of them on the shelves and putting that out. And then I asked various, I did other marketing things like I, I asked if I could do um, a, a book signing at a local coffee shop. They said, yes, I did that. I sold a lot of books there. Then the libraries picked up on it and I started doing events in libraries. And the libraries ordered 25 copies. The Dundee libraries ordered 25 copies of every single one of the, my books that come out. Wow. That's what, and yet, are you, how are you publishing? Are you going through, when you, when you did the paperbacks, and, and do you do hardbacks too, I should ask as well? No, paperbacks. Okay, so how are you doing those? Through Ingram Spark or through CreateSpace? I am, yes. I, originally, I did them through CreateSpace, but I do them through Ingram Spark now and CreateSpace. I do it through both. Okay, so, and that, so that presumably is why. Uh, you know, Waterstones bookshops are so keen to embrace you because they're not always keen to embrace create space books, are they? Well, they were fine with mine. They didn't seem to mind where they came from. <laughs> oh, right, that's interesting. And, and with Waterstones, then um, I know that um, I do know that Waterstones are slightly different because they will actually take local authors' books. That's right. On, yes. Won't they? Yeah. So they they were they were good to work with. They they sort of jumped on that. Absolutely outstanding. I cannot fault them. They have been brilliant from the get-go. They've done special displays of my books. If a new one comes out, they'll do a window display for it. Everything. CLC bookshops are the same, which is Christian Literature Crusade. I'm a Christian, but my books are not. They're written for a secular market, but anybody can read them. So CLC do events for me. We are so fortunate in Scotland. I've done events at Blackwells in Edinburgh, you know, I've done events at other um, Waterstones um, as, as part of something called Murder and Mayhem, where six of us go around and cause utter havoc in bookshops. <laughs> <laughs> now, a, a lot of this sounds like um, it's, if you want to call it this, sort of lo localised marketing. So yeah. a, a lot of people these days talk about going global and, and, you know, sales in America and things like that. You sound like you're working your patch, your local patch. Oh, I sell all over the place. I sell books in America. I sell books in um, Australia. My my American sales are good. They're very, very, very strong. In fact, at one point, they were way exceeding my um, British sales, and my British sales were good. Um, Australia, I sell very, very well in Australia. Um, I sell about 150 books a month in Australia. 
e-books. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I think it is, according to my friend who's Australian and a publisher, that is quite a lot, she says. It is, because um, I think... I'm trying to think there's something about Australia. They're quite expensive in Australia, I think, aren't they, books generally? Yeah, yeah. So I sell well in Australia. I've, I've sold in every Amazon country in the world. Oh, wow. So, and that's every country that Amazon sell to in the world. Fantastic. So, yeah, I'm selling globally. And a lot of that is to do with it's networking as well. I'm a serial joiner, so I'll join anything. So I'm in the Society of Authors, the Association of Christian Writers, the Scottish Fellowship of Christian Writers, um, the Scottish Association of Writers, Sisters in Crime, which is an American organisation. Um, what else am I in? I can't even think I'm in so many. Oh, I'm now in Scooby because I've got children's books out. I'm in everything. But I network. I'm nice to people. I help them out. I have them on my blogs. I have a blog. Um, I'm on another number of blogs as a regular contributor. I'm everywhere and people say that they go wendy you're everywhere you're tiring me out just telling me the list it's i'm exhausted <laughs> um i love your covers i think i, I do like your covers can you tell me about yeah. where you they are beautifully branded they're very consistent and they're very uh, in keeping with your genre can you can you tell me about where they come from right um I have a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant cover designer called Kathy Helms of Avalon Graphics. She lives in North Carolina in America and has never been to Dundee. And yet, just with the little bit that I gave her for the first book, she has branded all the books perfectly. I'll just give her a snippet of what it's about and she comes up with the cover. Now, to put it into context, the top of the covers are a seen from the book so book one the hand is dead women so that's killer's countdown and then the scene at the bottom is um a picture of dundee from a different angle so killer the first one is the top bit is a hand dead women the second one killer's craft is um a nun dead nuns dead women uh, dead nuns dead prostitutes and a henpecked husband. Um, the top of the third one has graveyard crosses, and that's Killer's Cross, bodies with crosses carved on their chests, dumped on the steps of Dundee and Angus churches. And she's done that for the whole lot. The only one I gave her a little bit more for was Killer's Crew, because it was set around a very specific ship on Dundee called the Discovery, and it's an ancient ship that... Um, Scott went to the Antarctic and it was built in Dundee and there was a man hanging by the neck until dead so we needed that at the top and the ship at the bottom but apart from that the cover designer's done it all <laughs> Brilliant. the other thing I've got to ask you then is is about research and realism um you know if you're if you're so based in, in Dundee you've alluded there to a historical part of you know the ship um how much research do you do for these books I do a lot of research. I do online research and I also go places. So, for example, in Killer's Cut, there's um, body parts all over Scotland. So I went all over Scotland to do it. Um, book seven, which I'm writing at the moment, is called Killer's Curse. And that's set, it's going to be, some of it's going to be set abroad in New Orleans. So I, went, I was actually in New Orleans. Um, I went there to speak at VoucherCon. And um, which is a big crime festival. So I did a lot of research there as well so that I could uh, do it in the book, add it to the book. So I try to go and do the research wherever I can. How long does it take you to write a book now? Um, I can write the entire book in about four to six weeks if I want to. Uh, and if I put my head down, but then obviously there's editing and things. I try to bring a book out 
every six months. But for various reasons, I only brought one out last year. Um, that was a very specific reason, um, personal issues, family issues. Um, but I try to bring one out every six months, but one year I brought out four. <laughs> Oh, wow, that's good. Well done. Well, that was because I brought two D.I. Shona McKenzie's out. Then I, I, I have another series called Ferguson Flora Mysteries, which is a young adult mystery series, which is the publisher. So we brought that out. And then I was doing a talk on book marketing, and I've got a book to go along with that talk, which is called um, Power Pack Book Marketing. So I brought that out as well. Wow. So, so talk to me about marketing then. You said earlier that you um you did the, the weight watchers thing you'd learned from multi-level marketing oh no don't say weight watchers oh, sorry, sorry, the one. you're the one sorry oh, oh, oh. i know people writing in oh no i know <laughs> sorry wrong one <laughs> but when you when, when you're a bloke and you've got a six-pack wendy you, you know you, you don't take notice of these things this is <laughs> yeah i know sorry sorry it's the wrong one i know that's like that's like saying oh. a terrible swear word, isn't it? It, it, it is, it is, it is. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Okay, but you, you've got the multi-level marketing experience then. And yeah. you talk about marketing, you teach marketing. So what could you, what would you say to somebody, you know, who's starting out in this business? What's the best way to sort of market the books and to get some traction? Because you, you're clearly well, doing very well. Thing, yeah, the first thing I always say when I'm doing a talk is that, I ask people, when is the best time to market your book? And you get answers like a month before it comes out, when it comes out, a bit before it comes out. And I go, no, the minute you start writing the first word, that's when you should start marketing your book. And it takes people back and they go, oh, my goodness, I'm too late. And I said, no, the best, basically the thing is the best time to start marketing your book is now, right now (laughs) is the best time to start marketing your book. So, Basically, marketing is about being seen. We all know that. It's about visibility. And in order for somebody to um, take notice of what you're doing, they usually need to see it six or seven times, depending on which article you're reading. And But so you, you do marketing in lots of different ways. So you do the pictures on social media. You do direct marketing you do i i mean i did a lot of things i do um i take paid advertising from facebook um amazon i'm going to do some marketing on um i use different groups like i use books go social robin's reads things like that so i use paid marketing but i do a lot of stuff with social media which is just to do with photos and things which has nothing to do with buy my book but people are seeing your books as you're doing it it's really funny we've been talking about that at this Amazon event today you know talking yeah. about how you don't say buy my book buy my book but you need to no. if you give those glimpses into the life of an author I mean I notice there's a picture here um uh, you know it's just day-to-day stuff isn't it it's just it's just the sort of life of an author I guess really um, yeah and yeah. the books sell incidentally uh, as a result yeah. of that because people know you and if you just get chatting to people and I mean, one of the other things you can do as well is with marketing, it's networking. And if you're helping people, when your book launch comes, you'll say to people, I'm having a book launch. Now, is there any chance I could, you could put me on your blog? And before you know where you are, you've got 20 people blogging about your new book. You know, and it's things like that. It's just being nice to people. And if they don't reciprocate, they don't reciprocate. At least you've been nice to people. <laughs> can I just ask, it just struck me here that I think, you know, people who've been in the, in the services are very used to and very yeah. good at just talking to people because you're, you're often with strange, you know, strange people in strange places and you just have to get on with each other. I'm just wondering whether this is a bit of your kind of services experience coming out here with the way you, you, you interact with people and you connect with people. 
Yeah, it would be because you are used to being catapulted into different situations. Plus, uh, to be honest, if you go to a cocktail party, you need to fast learn how to chat to people you've never clapped eyes on in your life before while holding a cocktail in your hand. You know, and we were expected to do that as officers. So you do have to put strategies in place, no matter, not that I'm shy, but no matter how shy you are, you have to put strategies in place to be able to do that. And it's absolutely the same when it comes to marketing. And it's not about marketing. It's just about talking to people, being pleasant and getting on with people. Mm, fantastic. The, the other thing I've got to ask you about, and I must, I've made a note of it to remind myself, um, Wendy H. Jones. You, you're, yeah. you're cursed with having another Wendy Jones, I think. Just tell, I am, me, yes. tell me the history of the Wendy H. Jones, if you would, because this is a frustration well, my, sometimes. my middle name is Henderson, so it is my middle initial. But the reason I'm Wendy H. Jones and not Wendy Jones is because if you look up Wendy Jones on Amazon, you get some woman that wrote The uh, Sex Lives of English Women. Oh, right. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> you never thought of giving it a try. Well, I don't know anything about the sex lives of English women. I'm not an English woman. So. <laughs> Very good. Okay, yeah, so it's it's a bit bit of a frustration for you. Would you rather be Wendy H. Jones? I'm happy being Wendy H. Jones. It's fine. The only difficulty is is when people are tagging me on Facebook. Um, in my profile, they tag me as Wendy Jones wrote. And if anybody goes and looks for it, they get the sex lives of English women, not my books. But fortunately, underneath it, I usually come up straight away and people are usually savvy enough to figure out that my books are crime books and that's what they're talking about well you know i'd rather have the sex lives of english women there's another paul teague out there and he does really boring thick books on procurement so i'd rather i'll take the sex lives of english women any day over procurement at least mine makes a good story it sure doesn't have a phrase (laughs) doesn't does it procurement i mean for goodness sake (laughs) you know I, talking to market and I go out and I speak to like women's institutes and things because they ask you if you'll go along and you go oh yeah I'll do that and when you say that story there's always a couple of people that look a bit sheepish <laughs> <laughs> yeah I bet yeah yeah they'll all be looking them up afterwards I would think that's the other thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're doing really well you've got a lovely catalogue of books on Amazon I do I love your branding as I think that looks um, fantastic it's a really important part of being an author but you, you've got um and, and please forgive me for using this word, but there are there are a couple of stragglers there. You know, other books is what I mean by that. You know, other books that aren't in that series. So just yeah. sort of get, just where, where do these books come from? What, what's the history of those? Well, the young adult series. Um, I was asked if, by a publisher if I had an idea for a young adult series, and I said yes and pitched it to them, and they liked it, and I signed a contract. That was as easy as that, right. which sounds awful because people are like, oh, my goodness, I've been trying for the last 40 years to get a young adult publisher, and no one will take me. But fortunately, it all just worked out. Sometimes the stars are just aligned, and a lot of it is hard work, and some of it's luck. Um, I've also got uh, my marketing book. And then you'll find that there's a Lent book there, New Life Reflections on Lent, that I've edited. That's a book for the Association of Christian Writers, and I'm one of the editors for their anthologies. I'm interested that you haven't um, split your names and your brands off. Is, is that intentional? It was intentional. I know that sometimes it's a bit tricky because with nonfiction and fiction, um, it it can get a bit, you're also bots are all over the place. Um, but everybody knew me as Wendy H. Jones. So anybody that knows me wouldn't find the other books. So, and I mean, I have another series 
which I can't say too much about, but that's going to be Wendy H. Jones as well. <laughs> but that's with a publisher, which is why I can't say too much about it yet. I need to talk to you about antiques and alibis. Tell me about this, because oh, yes. this, is, this is forthcoming, isn't it? Yes. Um, Antiques and Alibis is the first in the Cass Claymore mysteries. Now, Cass Claymore is a red-headed motorbike riding ex-ballerina who inherits an ex uh, uh, inherits a private detective agency and then hires an ex-condorwarf and an octogenarian. Oh, fantastic! But where? Did, well, how did that come? You have to get inspiration for something like that. I have no clue where it came from. I like Janet Ivanovich's Stephanie Plum series, and I, I got to thinking, what could I do in terms of, you know, Scottish version of that? And then you just get, you just get, you know, your mind starts firing off ideas. What are the most random things I could think of that come together? And uh, if I made her this, no, we don't have that in Britain. If I made her that, and then you think, oh, I could make her that, but that's a bit boring. She needs a background. I know, I'll make her a ballet dancer. You know, and then I thought, well, she's not a ballet dancer anymore, and she's always had a penchant for motorbikes. Yeah, let's give her a motorbike. Let's make it as difficult as you can, Wendy, because I know nothing about motorbikes, nothing about ballet dancing, and nothing about being a private investigator. Well, we'll make an effort, buy a motorbike, and learn about them. I think you should do that. Oh, yeah, me on a motorbike. That would go really well. I'd be like the dwarf on a motorbike, I tell you. I'm only little. <laughs> so is that one self-published, Wendy? That's coming out at the end of this month. Self-published? Self-published, yeah. Yeah, okay, great, okay. And then yeah. um, I, before, before we sort of started recording, I said to you, um, have you got something going on? Because I'm following you on your social feeds and you're, you're all over the place in really nice settings at the moment. And you, you, yeah. you, you said that this is something to do with Motivation Matters. So what can you tell That's me about it, Motivation yes. Matters? I'm writing a book called Motivation Matters, which is why I've had things sometimes on social media saying motivation matters and it's a motivational book 365 days of motivational material for writers or for anyone really <laughs> so so why why am i seeing all these wonderful pictures of you sort of writing in in grand castles and things like that what's how does that fit in well that's also about it's it fits in with both motivation matters and it fits in with um, the fact that I'm a writer and I don't want to sell my book saying buy my book. So I just have a bit of fun and it's become quite a cult really because if I don't post it for a while people will go Wendy I haven't seen a post where you're writing for a while <laughs> you know. Um, and it just I can't even remember how it started. I I think I just put today's writing comes to you from a, somewhere where I'm doing a book signing and people went oh that's nice to see and then I was in different places writing and I to be honest I managed to blag my way into places you're not even allowed to go to sit and write um for example um where was it I was down in um oh, I'm trying to think where I was I can't remember the name of the house but yeah um Field Marshal Montgomery's house anyway whatever the name of it was and I said to them is there any chance I can sit and write at his desk for a little while and take a photo and they said yes so I did some writing, and they had to lift the rope to let me through. Oh, brilliant. That's very nice. Because you're not allowed to sit at it. And the only place that's ever said no, and I understand why, was the Bronte Parsonage. But that's because they probably get loads of people asking the same thing. But good for you for asking, though, because you never know. Yeah, you never know. I've written at Arthur Conan Doyle's desk in Canada, at the museum. I've, I've written all over the place. The other thing I must ask you about before we finish is Bloody Scotland and your oh, sort yeah. of involvement in that. How, how are you involved in that? Because that's really quite some events. 
I'm not really, really involved in bloody Scotland, but I know all the authors, so I was invited along <laughs> as a guest for the launch of it. Um, what I'm involved in is Crime at the Castle, which is another Scottish crime festival, and I'm the founder and one of the organisers of that. Ah, right, OK, so I'm getting my events mixed up, because I, I'm sure yeah, I, I saw I, you hobnobbing. You're probably not getting your events mixed up, because on Monday I was posting pictures of me at Bloody Scotland lunch. Yeah, that's right, hobnobbing with the stars, that was you, wasn't it? Yeah, I was hobnobbing with the stars, <laughs> but I hobnobbed with the stars at Crime at the Castle as well, so it's the same thing. Well, this is it's, I can't, it's such a celebrity lifestyle, I can't make head or tail of it, Wendy. There's <laughs> so much going on. <laughs> now, um, yeah, Scottish, Scottish writers are lovely, so, you know, nobody's... Nobody's uh, uh, thinks that anybody's any less than anybody else, so everybody just gets on. Yeah, that, you know, that, so that's it's great. Good. They're yeah, phenomenal. It, it comes out, actually, it comes over that you know, because um, uh, Bloody Scotland's one of those events that I, I need to get to. You know, I need, you need all these things you need to check out. I, it's on my kind of list of things I want to get to at some point. It's but, brilliant. Bloody Scotland is absolutely brilliant. Of course, so is Crime at the Castle. <laughs> and Stirling, of course. You see, I'm, I'm actually I'm in Stirling. Um, you, How are you? For Runrig's last concert in August. Um, oh, right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm coming up to Stirling shortly for that concert. So you see, only a, Scots, uh, a Scottish person would know about Runrig, you know, without me having to explain. Yeah, Runrig are great. Are they playing in August in Stirling? It's their last ever concert, Wendy. When? What date? Well, well it'll be, it's sold out. They're like gold dust, the ticket. So uh, hang on, let me uh. tell you. Well, I, sorry, I should know because it's my wife's birthday. That's a shame. I won't be able to get a ticket. It's the it's the eighteenth of August, the eighteenth of August. Oh, I might be in China anyway. But it's the last. I ever might be doing research in China. Research, and so you, of course, that, that, you know that goes. You can claim that on for your tax, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. But I really am doing research. I'm not just going for a jolly. <laughs> <laughs> my my third book in the Ferguson Flora Mysteries, the, the teenage series, is going to be called The Warrior's Revenge, and those books are set around archaeological digs and things, and. Um, I'm doing it around the Terracotta Warriors, so... Oh, w- wonderful, yeah. So, and then, yeah. You, know, you could use your author uh, business, if you want, you know, if you want, it should be a business, of course, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to travel and to, to facilitate travel. So, it's a great thing to do. Absolutely, yeah, I do. I do. Um, I must also ask you about 20 books of 50K, because that's where I last saw you in, in the flesh, so to speak. We were sitting at that front table at 20 books of 50K in London. So you you travelled some way as I had to attend that event. Um, yeah. what, what did you make of it? Why, why did you make the effort to get there? Well, I, I mean, I know I do a lot of marketing, but I, you know, I realised as well that we can always learn and we can always learn more. And I really enjoyed it. It was amazing. Um, A lot of it was about fantasy, but let's face it, everything's a transferable skill, you know. And if it's a transferable skill, then you can use it. And there was some phenomenal speakers there and, you know, brilliant, brilliant ideas. So it was, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Again, it's also about meeting people. The next one, of course, is in... Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah, are you booked yeah. in? That, I mean, that's on your back, back door, isn't it? So, I'm not booked in yet, but I will be booking in, yes. Yeah, well, I, I've got to tell you about that because I, I was there thinking, oh, I'll get booked in. You know, they, they've sold the first run of tickets out for the, the weekend event. What, for the actual event? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, for the weekend event, um, they because uh, I, I was I was thinking, right, Edinburgh's quite expensive. Let's get the hotel first and then let's get the ticket. And, uh, yeah, they've, they've sold out already. Just went just like that for, for 2019. Surely there'll at least some more. Well, I hope they will, but I mean, otherwise that's Rudrig and 20 books, Wendy, that you've missed. Paul, surely they'll let you and I in. 
Don't they know they, who we they, are? They're not let us in, <laughs> would they? <laughs> well, it would be nice Such to go. celebrities as us. I know, I know. But uh, yeah, apparently on, on the website, all the tickets have gone because I couldn't believe it. And I thought, I thought I'd got the time to figure out where I was going to stay first. And they, they went just like that for the weekend. So You, you must be bosom buddies with the blokes that run it. You know, get us in, Paul. <laughs> shall, shall I have a word with the management, see what I can do? Send them a message. Send the management a message and say, hey. <laughs> me, me and Wendy, we were keeping that top table, weren't we? We were keeping it going at the top there. And we were keeping it going. We were there at the front. They can't, they can't forget us. <laughs> Well, we've done our, our our hour, Wendy. I must finish by saying to you, uh, you know, what's coming up next, and also, where's the best place to find out all about you? Because you've got loads of things going on, really interesting stuff going on. Yeah. Well, what's coming up next? Um, well, I'm obviously going off to do some um, research in China in August, which is rather nice. Um, I've got several events booked up already for this year. Um, I'm also um, getting ready for a next year for another conference that I'm organising because I'm the president of the Scottish Association of Writers, so I'm very, very busy. I'm releasing Antiques and Alibis later in the year, I've got, or later this month, I've got uh, K- Killer's Curse, the next um, D.I. Shona McKenzie coming out um, later this year. I have another series coming out hopefully in October or November, but I can't say too much about it at the moment because the publishers have said keep it with you until later on, uh, with me, I mean. And um, I've got another Ferguson Flora coming out in September, so there'll be four books at least this year. Blimey, you never rest. And so where, where can we keep up with all of this online? You can find me on my, at my website, wendyhjones.com, um, which I will say is not quite up to date because I'm busy building a new website for the Association of Christian Writers at the moment. So, um, But it will be up to date as soon as I've done that. Um, so that's wendyhjones.com. You can see me on Facebook. If you want to be a friend with me on Facebook, just look up Wendy Jones Dundee and you'll find me and you can be friends. Um, if you want to get my author page on Facebook, it's, when, it's Wendy H. Jones Author. I'm Wendy H. Jones on twitter pinterest um what else instagram i'm on everything i'm everywhere and that was crime writer wendy h jones don't forget to check out this week's show notes to find out more about wendy and her writing now the next interview episode is going to be dropped into the podcast feed on monday the 6th of august 2018 Remember, we're in summer mode at the moment, so it'll be a little bit more erratic, but the interview episodes will be dropping in once a month from now on. Now, that interview is going to be with Debbie Young, who many of you will know through the Alliance of Independent Authors. I'll be chatting to Debbie about her own writing and being the founder of a literature festival. So watch out for that episode on Monday, the 6th of August, 2018. And before that, I'll see you for this Saturday's diary episode. That'll be on the 7th of July. Until then, have a great week of writing. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. <laughs>